Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Big Deed Podcast. Before I announce today's special guest, please subscribe, like, share to the uh, Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. In 48 hours, a seven-time Olympic medalist will be joining the podcast. I can't tell you who name is, but uh, you'll be... But uh, I hope everybody tunes in to see her. Joining us today is America's race walking couple, Robin Stevens and Nick Christie. How's California? That's beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's really nice. I mean, we're up uh, we're up in the mountains, so it's a little cold right now. We got a winter storm coming. Supposedly, they've been <laughs> yeah, saying allegedly. that for like a couple yeah. weeks. <laughs> yeah. Thinking like, uh, so where are you by? Where are you? Are you anywhere near the mountains? What? Uh, we're currently training in the Mojave area for some altitude training, but we, we divide our time between the San Diego and Sac- uh, Sacramento area too. I'm thinking, so would you be closer, would you be closer to Nevada? Uh, no, we're like, we're pretty near like Lancaster. So we're like um, an hour to two hours away from LA. It's probably a four, three and a half hour to four hour drive to Vegas um kind of in the middle <laughs> yeah like kind of like you know like for fort Irwin, you know like uh just just like in the desert like out up near lancaster area <laughs> like in the middle of nowhere right more or less yeah <laughs> okay so for both of you when did you get your first pair of walk-in shoes I was 14. My youth coach um, taught everybody who was on her team all the events that are in track and field Olympics. And uh, so she used to have just a car of a whole bunch of shoes that she would collect on discount. And that's how I got mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, as far as first walking shoes, uh, probably not until uh, Newfield gave us walking shoes because they're the only walking specific shoes. but. But uh, the the first time I started race walking was in uh, community college at Cuyamaca College in San Diego. So the the coach there was a two time Olympic race walker, and he had everybody try it out. So then um, that's when my running shoes turned into walking shoes. Uh, <laughs> how are race walking shoes different to running or everyday tennis shoes? Uh the ergonomics and like the pressure points where you're coming down are a little bit different. So where a runner, for example, needs padding um, is slightly different for race walkers because we're going to be coming down on our heel and then pushing off our toe. So usually before Newfield, um, race walkers would use shoes that were geared for marathon runners because the padding on the toe is good, but the heel's not so good. Um, plus we need that roll. Yeah, so usually you want like a, a stiffer heel that has some padding because if the heel's too soft, then your knee will kind of buckle when you land uh, with your straight oh, yeah. knee. Wobbling. Yeah, so you'll, you'll wobble a little bit and be unstable. Um, but like the marathon, like road racing flats, like those tended to be the best shoes to wear. Um, now there's a couple walking specific shoes that are made and like uh, Newfield, our sponsors, um, uh, really big onto just like making walking shoes, power walking, Nordic walking, race walking, you know, you name it. And, and that, that's kind of where you get more of that push off off the toe. And then you get a, a soft heel that's, that's stiff and firm. So like you, you don't have that instability. So that's, that's like the hallmark is if you have a very soft heel, then it's like, 
it's not a good walking shoe for, for race walking anyway. And with Newfield, they'll even specialize the difference between Nordic walking. So they have Nordic walking specific shoes, race walking specific shoes, urban walking specific shoes. And it's all just studying where where, yeah, the, where your the pressure points are and, and the, kind of the, the wear. weight of the shoe, yeah. the wear of the shoe. <laughs> like we will uh, um, kind of cut through like the side of our shoe very frequently. So they've put like padding on the side because we have a very um uh i don't know what you'd call that gate but it's a uh very front front and back gate and like you'll you'll swipe uh swipe the side of your shoes and cut a hole in like the you know the in in, in inner part of the uh the shoe so like they, they put extra padding there and like little little things yeah, like, it's like that a little that different you from about. running where the running's yeah. gonna be on the bottom or right on the top or the toe might come up or um, yeah because classically, like the marathon road racing flats, like they're they're only meant for like a few a few goes because they're they're pretty light, you know, um, not not super durable shoes because they're meant more just for racing. Um, so then we tear through those things, like like uh, put holes in the uh, toes, you know, like from walking in them too much, or like like put holes in the side from from like cutting them while we're walking in our stride. So that's that's like the big difference is just having a more durable shoe that's that's suited for for our event plus we're we're we have a faster turnover so there's a lot more wear going down into those soles as well because we're we're coming down where like if you're think of running you think of a gazelle striding out with race walking you're going to see a, a shorter stride and, and quick turnover like speedy gonzalez so then it's yeah, the, I'm not a shoe <laughs> expert, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm imagining yeah, <laughs> is why they wear down faster. Because we have to keep, you know, we have to appear to have one foot on the ground at all times to the human eye. Um, very, very specific wording right there, appear to have one foot on the ground. Um, you know, the only way to increase our, our speed is to increase our stride length or to increase our turnover. So then, you know, we'll be going like 200 plus steps per minute. And then, uh, you know, we'll have like a meter... 0.3 a meter 0.2 length stride and then like that that'll be like that that turnover you're just going to get a lot of wear um from you know bumping your shoes because it's it's going to be similar to look kind of like a sprint turnover but yeah i think that sums it up <laughs> do you remember your first race walking event oh i don't know my first one um i mean it, it might be Oregon, um, right after, I think it was right after the Prefontaine Classics, they would always have like a, a race for the high schoolers. And I did the, the 3000 meters for the first time there. Um, and just, yeah, I think that was where she had us do our first big one. Like we would do it in, in practice and stuff, but our first one was in Oregon after the Prefontaine Classics. I forget what they called it, but I think they still do it. It's like a, a smaller meet for the high schoolers and youth. And I was yeah. a youth walker and was there for, I did the mile and the two mile. And then she threw me in for the 3000 for the first time. I got second place and I didn't like that. And so then after that, I made sure to do whatever I could to, to get faster so that that wouldn't <laughs> happen again. And then yeah, it didn't. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, so mine, I, I had actually qualified for the javelin for the community college, Southern California championships. And, uh, my coach was like, you know, I, I think you got some potential in race walk. So why don't you come do this race instead this weekend? So then I skipped out on the, um, Southern California championships for the javelin, which was a kind of, kind of like a, you know, um, 
surprise for me because I, I did more pole vault and stuff before I did race walk, but I qualified out in the javelin somehow. But uh, uh, I skipped out the race and then I went to do a race walk in Riverside and it was part of the 15K nationals, I think. Um, I only did 5K and uh, I think I walked like 24, 14 or something like that. Like um, that was my first race. And then I, I did a couple more and um, like, like right after that. And they're, they're all like right around that time. But it was, uh, that was the only walking I did was I just did that race and then I, uh, would not walk and then my coach would sign me up for another race and then I would not walk and then <laughs> I feel like it's easier for you to remember because yeah. it wasn't as long ago yeah yeah <laughs> for me, my... I, I think it was because I would get bored because of all the heats between the mile would be the first <laughs> event and then there's all these heats after heats after heats of the 200s and hurdles I think is the order and then it would be the 800 which was an event I would do and then there would be all these heats after heats after heats after heats after heats after heats until the two mile. Um, so I would get really, really bored. And so then I think it was at that race in Oregon where she's just like, well, if you're so bored so that you keep your muscles warm for the two mile and the 800, we'll just throw you in the, in the 3000 meter race walk. But yeah, I think that was, yeah. I, I think that's, that's going to be pretty typical for, I think most people try and race walk is you either get thrown into it against your will or, or you, you do it because you're, you're trying to do another event or, or someone just tells you to do it and says show up and then you do. <laughs> so. And why not too? Yeah. Why not try whatever's there? <laughs> so were you always, so were you always in the race walk and were you in the multiple sports? I was a, so I started off as a dancer. I did competitive dancing. Um, well, and I started off as two dancing and then I got into competitive dancing later on in, in elementary school through junior high, first two years of high school. And then I was a soccer player. So I did competitive soccer. Um, but you know, the, the girls on my team started getting bigger and I just stayed under five foot. <laughs> so, um, so I was still small, 80 pounds, they're all getting bigger. And, you know, you could tell that I probably, would struggle if I wanted to be on a pro team in soccer <laughs> later on in my life. Um, so that's what I was doing was dancing and soccer. And then in PE, I would race the boys. So um, my PE teacher in middle school, Mrs. McCallum, um, told me about the cross country team. I had never heard of cross country, uh, told me to go out for that. I went out for cross country. From there, they, that's how I learned about track and field. Um, they sent me to a cross country race though in Dixon. And that's where my youth coach, Claudia Wildy with the Westwood Flyers saw me. I had beat her kid, her boy in the race. And so she came over and just said, Hey, you know, have you ever thought about going to the Olympics? And I said, yeah, but that's for like special people, you know, like they get chosen when they're a baby, you know? <laughs> and she's like, well, if you stick with me, I can get you into any college. And probably and um, probably make an Olympic team. And that was like all I needed to hear because I grew up watching Nadia Pomich, like all of her, like I always wanted to be a gymnast and there was no gymnastics in Vacaville. I grew up in Vacaville. So that's why I was dancing. Dancing was supposed to have tumbling, but that was all they had. They didn't have any of that. We didn't have access to a gymnastics uh, program. So I just, that, that like for me, it was just like, oh, ticket to you say any college I'm the youngest in my family so I'm thinking well what if my parents don't have enough money for me once they're done putting my sister through school <laughs> so I was always trying to keep my academics up but then I wanted all my my 
my base is covered. So it's like, I can get an athletic scholarship too. So whatever I'll do like, okay, you tell me not to drink Coca-Cola. Don't go to fast food. Done. Not going to do it. You say, don't wear these high heels because they're bad on your, your joints or whatever. Done. I'll do it. Like I'll wear the flat shoes, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. So then if she says try race walk, um, the part of what got me to do it was um, my parents had said it was getting too expensive with all the sports I was doing that I had to choose between track and field, soccer and dance. Dance was the most expensive for the outfits and stuff. Uh, so um, I talked to my dance instructor and she didn't sound as convincing as my coach, you know, the youth coach, Claudia. So that made it easy, but I was really depressed because I was going to really miss dance, but she took me to the Stanford invite to see the professional race walking. And when I saw it, when I saw their legs in a row, like Kurt Claussen and, and all the women go across, like, I think it was Kurt Claussen, Philip Dunn at the time and um, Al Hepner. And, and then you see like uh, Susan Armenta. So that's, it's her form, it's her technique and um, Joanne Dow's and um, they, they were all walking together. What's the other one? Um, Debbie Lawrence, they were all walking together. And when I saw them, that their technique is just gorgeous. It reminded me of the chorus line <laughs> and which is a dance that Brezhnikov was in that I grew up watching too. And so I thought, okay, I couldn't do gymnastics because there was no program. And they're telling me I need to quit dance. But if I do race walk, I don't have to quit dance because now it's kind of like interpretive dancing. Race walk's like the interpretive dancing of track and field. So now I don't have to give up. No. either i can do both <laughs> that's how i got into it yeah but it was from because i was a dancer <laughs> yeah i uh i i had played other sports beforehand i i'd been doing baseball and football at my high school and then one of my friends had conned me into doing cross country and track instead uh <laughs> um and and from there i i ended up going to the community college because i met my pole vault coach coach lyle barton and he uh he was like, yeah, come here, you know, try it out for a couple of years and then you can transfer to a four year. You got plenty of time. And then uh, I was pole vaulting and then um, the cross country coach, Tim Seaman, who happened to be a two-time Olympic race walker was like, Hey, I only have six guys on my cross country team. Uh, will you run for us? <laughs> and uh, I, I saw you, you ran cross country at some point. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't want to run cross country, man. I, I, I hate cross country. I like track. But uh, I was like, fine, like, I'll do it, you he know, like, like, so I'll, I'll be the seventh guy. And then uh, I ended up getting on the team and I, I ran, okay, I think I ended up being like our fourth guy on the team. And, um, uh, but then at the end of the year, he had everybody try out race walking. And um, it just kind of fit my particular skill set. I'd, I'd been like a hurdler and a pole vaulter in high school when I was doing track and field. And then like, uh, I think just that, you know, having played baseball and, and so many different sports where like, there's just so many technical aspects that, that are involved. Like, uh, it really fit like my, my, uh, mentality. So then, uh, I, I just started race walking after that. So that was, it, so that, yeah, that's how I started. Interesting from dancing and baseball, the way to race walking. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's always, I think if you talk to a lot of race walkers, you'll find that there's a, um, everyone comes to it in a, a very different way. Like no one, no one, no one just ends up in race walking from birth. Like, like, well, at least not in America. Yeah. Like <laughs> it happens other places, but in America, it's more like, 
Well, I, I think even it's across the world, try. like, like usually <laughs> it'll be from, from very, like a, a multitude of different sports or backgrounds where you'll get like the race walkers finally, finally finding their way into the, into the sport. So it's, it's quite interesting that way. <laughs> now, now there are also differences between walking and running. One is, uh, as you well know, uh, some race walkers can and have been disqualified for various reasons. Uh, can you explain how walkers get like cards and potentially once they get enough cards, then the official can DQ them from a race? Yeah. So, so there are two rules in race walking. You need to have a straight knee upon contact with the ground until it passes underneath the body. So that's, that's the first rule. That's one. Anyone who's been race walking for a while should never break that rule. Cause it's just, it, it should be like a, it should be a rare rule except like at the end of a 50 K cause that's, that's when the body just starts breaking down the technique, you know, goes away. Then the second rule is you have to appear to have one foot on the ground at all times to the human eye. So appear is important and human eye is important because if you look at photos and video, like slow-mo video, you'll see race walkers can be kind of off the ground sometimes. Um, there's about like 0.04 seconds where the human eye can detect uh, that, that contact. And uh, that's, you know, that's about when, uh, um, that's about when like a camera, like when you'll see the people off the ground, in like a high speed photo or like uh, or slow motion video, like it'll be because of it's in that that small period of time where the human eye can't can't see it. So that's uh, the human eye and appear to have one foot on the ground all the time. So then there'll be kind of different styles that they'll try to like, you know, that that might look lower, appear lower, and and you'll you'll see that reflected in like the the video and the high speed cameras where you'll see how how far off the ground people are. Like usually Robin and I are like not off the ground very much when we like you know take the uh, slow motion video and. Um, everything, but almost every race walker will be off the ground at some point. Uh, it just won't be in violation of the rule. But we'll have uh, about nine judges on the course, um, depending on the type of race. So you have nine judges on the course, and then usually three judges have to be World Athletic certified. So they have to be like top top tier judges that have gone through a lot of testing and watched a lot of like video film, like when they when they do their recertifications and everything, and they're selected by their national governing bodies to like actually be able to take those tests so they'll have a lot of experience with just seeing race walking so they'll they'll be quite quite studied in the event and uh those judges will ideally make the event fair and and make sure people aren't you know getting away with stuff they shouldn't be and then i i think like there's a lot of honor and like there's a lot of like integrity within the event so like nobody's trying to actively cheat for the most part you know like there are there are some people who might run the you know, run the corners or something, but usually they'll get called and usually like, you know, they'll get busted. There's like a race in China um, that we do every, every year. It's a three day race and it's kind of scored like the Tour de France and uh, the uh, judges um, will uh, usually like, because the race is point to point rather than being on like a one kilometer loop, like we typically race. One to two. Yeah. One to two kilometer loop is like our typical race course length. Um, This race will be like a, uh, point to point course so like the judges are are kind of driven around in little like sidecars like little motorcycles (laughs) and uh they don't always get to see everybody within the race so like sometimes there's a lot of cheating in the event but then the judges like once they see it like like if you're flagrantly cheating you can get disqualified by the chief judge that race is pretty unique and and that one that race is very unique most races aren't like that but that 
our, that is our competitive like national and international championship races like the big races they're going to have five to eight judges and we're either on the track or on a one to two k loop and there's con there's constant yeah um, you're you're watching, no more but... than like a hundred meters from any any given judge and the judges are always moving around you don't necessarily know where they're going to be on on the race course and uh you're, you're being constantly scrutinized and then again like like uh if if someone was flagrantly cheating within the race like they're they're going to get a lot of um they're going to get comments from their competitors like their competitors aren't going to allow them to like get away with that but the way it works um, is uh, you can get one red card from each judge. So uh, you can't get more than one card from the same judge. So that's why they need five to eight, depending on the level of the championship or race. Um, so if you get three red cards from three different judges, so a red card from three different judges, you can be DQ'd unless they implement the penalty box, which was added a few years ago. Um, in that case, if you get a red card from three different judges, you can be put in the penalty box. And then depending on the length of the race, so for a 50K, it's two minutes. Five minutes. Five minutes for a 20K, it's two minutes. Two minutes, yeah. So depending um, on the length of the race, there will be a certain time that's ascribed to, to the penalty. And uh, that, that'll be on your third red card. Then your fourth red card, you'll get disqualified. Yeah. So... At our recent championships, um, they couldn't institute the penalty box. So then it was just third red card and you're out. Which was the, yeah. the usual rule. And that's, they that's had a typical the rule. Three rule. red cards and you're out. And that rule has evolved over the time of race walking. It used to be you could only get one red card. Like, like uh, you know, so there, there have been certain changes. You know, if you run, like if you were to flagrantly disobey the rules the last 100 meters of the course if you don't have any red cards you could get disqualified now yeah so, now they have a judge um, it doesn't matter how many red cards you have if you're illegal the last 100 meters you're out yeah so, um but the penalty box what that does is it you're in that box that adds time to your total time so you're in there for two minutes for a, for a 20k five minutes for a 50k um however many it is for the 10k but uh and then if you don't get caught, if you don't get stopped before you, like if you finish before you're notified of that um, third red card, then they add that time to your time. To the end of the race. Which so. is why there might be, that's why like, I don't know if you've seen, some, if you follow um, Evan Dunphy, but he's mentioned that it should be like the, the figure skaters where you should, just have you a should show us waiting to see our score because like we won't know exactly until the end sometimes if you know sometimes they celebrate too early and then it ends up that guy was dq'd or you think someone's dq'd but they're not so then it's like it would be fun to just kind of see like that that waiting then like oh okay cool or like, yeah Ooh. so like at my first um collegiate national championship uh my uh, teammate and I, we got like just blown away the last hundred meters. And, um, you know, the guy started celebrating like, like it was, you know, he, he just won nationals. He was like super stoked and, and, uh, you know, we were just kind of sitting back and then, uh, um, the uh, chief judge came over and said, Hey, uh, you know, the guy who just passed you guys, he got disqualified. He was running the last hundred meters. And then, you know, my teammate and I got upgraded to first and second. Um, you know, so that, that does happen. And, in uh, the 2000 Olympics, uh, you know, like you had an Australian girl, Jane Seville. She was um, she was walking into the stadium. She got disqualified uh, in the stadium. You know, like in her home home Olympics. Then you had, you know, uh, uh, man, oh, Rome. Bernardo Segura, I think, was. Um, oh man, I'm like 
like I think it was Bernardo Segura. He was uh, the from Mexico. He was uh, the Olympic champion in the uh, in the twenty k race walk. He's on the phone with the president of Mexico, and then he gets the uh, red card from the chief judge after he had finished while the race. While he's on the phone, while he's on the phone, getting congratulated by the president of Mexico for winning the race. And uh, then you know, like you'll have you'll have moments like that at the end of the race because it takes some time to get the uh, to get the cards in. Um, sometimes you know and, like, and that's the biggest difference is in running you can have the worst <laughs> technique you could break down you could be crawling but you still get to finish but <laughs> if you break down and you don't have the right proper technique in race walking and you could get all the way almost just like jane seville uh you know she gets to the finish she's just walked 19.9 you know. kilometers in a 20k <laughs> yeah. race and she, she's disqualified yeah and then she finally she's getting to the winning stretch she doesn't get to finish because she was she broke form or a runner you can break form you can be like this and you know stumbling around <laughs> yeah. and stuff and it, it, you, you can still finish it can um, be especially bad in the 50ks where like you know you hit that you hit that like bonk wall moment where and your it's like, brain is just kind of discombobulated you know you can't even just regular walk at the end because if you regular walk you'll have a bent knee and then you get disqualified so, oh, it's so like, then you get this like frankenstein yeah, so you, that's why you see some like some people just kind of walking because they're yeah. trying to keep their legs straight yeah. with everything they can while their electrolytes are all whack yeah so it, it can be quite um quite brutal in that way like at the end of races or even with you know in the beginning of races and then it, it dictates kind of how the race is uh how the race is executed so a lot of race walk races it's almost like a time trial from the gun like in in a lot of cases so like people people will push the pace early on they don't you can't wait to like a last minute kick you can't wait to like uh you know so you'll see like two five you know six k out in the race where you'll get like in a 20k race so like basically halfway through the race you'll start to see like the pace really drop because uh if you if you try to do that like last 100 meters last 200 meter kick like you could get disqualified with no no calls the judges got used to a certain look how you appear and then all of a sudden you change your cadence (laughs) or you change something it it will draw more attention and then even if you stay legal it's still there's just too many questions so you have to consider like oh okay what's going to draw too much attention even even if it's even if you're fine technically um you just don't want to you can't take those risks like you can in running where you just want to hammer it down. Like I, I come from, a, I was a runner first before a race walker. I loved being able to kick at the end and actually I really liked leading from the beginning. And then I was known to not know how to do the negative split. I had to learn that from Sarah, you know, <laughs> her, she was really good at negative splitting in high school, but Sarah Hall, but then college is when it clicked for me that that strategy is a smart strategy, but I used to love going out fast and then I would love finishing fast in, in running and um, prided myself on, I would do the four by four to, to work on my kick in running so that I could just lay down a really fast last 400 in whatever race I was doing, the mile or the two mile. But in race walk, I want to do that, but it's like, oh, no, 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 wait. But, you know, I got to make sure even cardio, even though cardio wise, I can go really fast. It's like, but can my bot, can my legs keep yeah. up? You know, can my can my race walk technique keep up with how fast cardio wise I can go? And then it's, just, you have to do a lot of thinking, you know? So it's like, oh man, I got to think more where with running, you kind of check out. Um, <laughs> if you check out as a race walker, you can put yourself at risk, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the technique is, is very crucial at the end of an event. And that's, that's something you got to be very aware of. 
and it, it does dictate like the nature of of how how the event is uh how, how the event will end and how how you might end up in the event so and another um another difference is that i had noticed with indoors for example if you're not pre-funded going into the race so for oh. for distance runners and for race walkers it, at least in california it's really difficult for us to qualify for indoors because you have to qualify on an for pre-funding because you have to qualify on an indoor track for the pre-funding to be sent to you before you're at indoors. But we don't have any indoor tracks here. And then yeah. it's really expensive to get to where they would have the indoor tracks. For yeah. race walking, we have to have the correct judges. So it's not just for running, you can just jump on an indoor track and, and, and have a race and that's it. For race walking, it's like, okay, we have to have at least the five judges. And then so it's not just the track now in indoors. We also have to have the five judges. The five judges have to all, you know, they're not all from the same area. So then they have to fly in. Um, so it's really hard if you're not already the defending champ um, and then you're going in, you're not going to get that pre-funding until you're there. So like in the past, even though um, I went into indoors two years ago, top three, you know, going into it, um, I, I didn't get the pre-funding because the defending champ was Maria Mitchka that year. And, um, but I didn't have an indoor track to qualify for it. So now we're relying on me to get there and then finish the race. And then I'll get the, the reimbursed. Yeah. Funding. Uh, so you get funding based on your placement going in, if you have a qualifying time indoors, and then you get funding leaving the race based on your, your finish at the race and, and where you finish. Right. So, so if you, if the you... <laughs> difference between race walk and running, if you get DQ'd, you're out. Like, you're out. You, you lose don't, all the funding. You don't get you the, the pre-funding. You get no money. You don't get the prize money. You don't get the pre-funding. You get nothing. There's a little leeway for running in some of the other events. Yeah. So, so like, like, so it's really, this is kind of like a gamble. Yeah. So like my old coach, uh, Tim Seaman, he was doing, I think it was 2011, the indoor championships. He got DQ'd the last, you know, last lap of the race. Um, you know, he was, he was the defending champion and then he's driving home and then, uh, he got pulled over because his rental car had a light out <laughs> and then the police officer's going to give him a ticket. And then he just went off on him. He's like, dude, I just lost $6,000. I lost $6,000 from New York, like $6,000 in like 30 seconds. And like, you know, I went from I went from having money to not having money. Now just give me the ticket. And he was, he was like, uh, you know, he was super upset, but that's, that's just kind of what can happen in the event. You know, like you can, you can be right there and it looks really good. And then all of a sudden you just see like three cards pop up on the uh, board and then you're, you know, the chief judge walks over to you, gives you the red card and you're done. And, um, and that's the other difference too, is for race walking, we only have three big races where we're going to make money. That's the 50K championships, now 35K for women. And then it's the indoor 3000, so indoor championships. And then it's going to be the 20K outdoor championships for us. Those are the only times we make money. We don't have, like all the other national championships we have, you don't have a purse. Or if it is, it's like the $50 entry fee. So we're just getting the $50 back <laughs> yeah. for the entry fee that we paid for. So um, and then our entry fees are usually higher because there's less race walkers than runners. So then we're paying for, and then we have to pay, you know, we have to help pay yeah. for like the, the judging and, <laughs> and all the stuff that goes there. So it, it really, if we, if we lose out on the, any race, if we lose any money, that's, 
that's basically our half yeah, our yeah, livelihood. That's, that's our, that's our, <laughs> it's, it's half our, our salary half our for that whole for year. year. So, <laughs> so that's always really important is like, uh, you know, making sure if you're going into the race, you know, also assures, how do you finish it? And which then, also assures that, you know, race walkers are not intentionally cheating. We're going to make, we pride <laughs> ourselves on being technically like, yeah, technically, technically 100% sound, yeah. sound and fast. <laughs> <laughs> So you think so you think that how last you started for you, Robin? I mean you you won the twenty and fifty K and the indoor three K. Yeah, so Robin did uh you know, I, I like to call it the trifecta. Um I don't know if it's caught on with everybody yet, but you know, it's our indoor championships, our twenty K championships, and our fifty K championships, and only only a couple people have done it in the history of, of U.S. race walking and then men. Um, men, like men and women included. And Robin's the only woman to ever have done it. And, uh, you know, that was, um, she was, she was on track to do it last year too, but, um, uh, but, but the they, pandemic, the, the pandemic <laughs> got in the way of the 20K. Um, but that was, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a huge accomplishment, you know, being able to turn around. Usually what, what's, what's super cool about it is that our 50K is always like, two weeks before indoor so uh it's always two to three weeks yeah so robin last year came back from like you know crushing the 50k and then uh you know uh had to turn around and then you know race all the young kids and uh you know all the college kids who are focused on um you know mile three thousand meter races and had to go beat them in indoor so it's like uh you know you'll have a lot of people who won't do the 50k but they'll do like the 20k and indoor so then if you're doing both the 50k and indoors and, and you're able to turn it around like robin did that's like that's something special because like not not a lot of people will, will even contest both those events. And I wouldn't have done it without his, without him <laughs> encouraging because I used to not take indoors seriously at all. Yeah. And then last year he's like, well, I think you could do it. And he's done it before. He's done the trifecta. So I'm like, all right. And then my coach is like, oh yeah, you totally can do it. Like you recovered fine from the 50K. Yeah. So. Like I made her go to, I made her go to Milrose that year so she could like get some practice on the indoor track. And then like, like, I, you know, we hosted that a, a was little... my first mile since I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, yeah, I want to get I want to get familiar with an indoor track. Um, yeah. So that's why I was there just to get familiar yeah. with the track. Then we did another race. We did another indoor race up in Utah up at altitude. So it's like, you know, now, now you can race at the distance, you know, the distance and the uh, and the uh, environment. And then we did another one. We did a 3000 meter race before the 50K, you know, just as a to, to get the legs moving, you know, so just get familiar with the 3000 meter distance and like like do all that. And then she, you know, she just went on a little winning streak where she just kind of crushed everybody. <laughs> but yeah. So uh, now this season, I mean, basically the pandemic wiped out everything from March on, from this time onward last year. So let's see, Robin, uh, you won the 30, what, 35K, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So you know, Robin, uh, we'll see, at, you know, later this year, but they should come out with like the new world rankings for the 35k and, uh, you know, with her win there and like her time, she should be, you know, towards the top. So she should have a, a very strong, uh, you know, she's leading, she's leading the US women right now for qualifying for Eugene world champs next year. And then uh, actually in the 20k, you know, as we're gearing up for like our Pan Am trials next, you know, the end of the month, hopefully, uh, and then our Olympic trials 20K like later this year in June. Um, Robin's going in as uh, as the only American in the Olympic quota for the women. And then uh, 
And then Nick is the only um, American man in the Olympic quota for the 50K currently and just just right there on the cusp for the 20K. And really all he needs is a 20K. He just hasn't had a race to do it. Yeah, so so we, we got like some cool stuff coming up and, uh, you know, pretty excited. But that, that 35K win was really good. And, um, you know, Robin's like, you know, has, has been primarily focused on the 20k. So like to, to just show up and like to want for competitors with a, with a, um, you know, with a focus on, on an entirely different event is, uh, is really impressive. I'm actually really curious that I've only done two, two 50ks, um, which was the one, the 2019 championships I won in the 2020 championships I won. And then the, the 35k last week, um, those are the only ones that I've done over 20K uh, because my whole focus is 20K. So I actually am really curious to see what I could do if I were to focus um, on training for the 50K and the 35K um, intently. Um, because right now it's always been, the past several years, it's always just been base building, base building period. So I'm really curious to, to see you know, once I, I mean, my whole focus is the 20K this year and, and definitely, but, you know, as long as this, if that's the only Olympic event for, for women, it's always going to be 20K. But uh, I would like to, on one of our off years, um, you know, that, that break between worlds and in Olympics, that one year we get off, I would like to try out a, a 50 and a 35 where I'm just only focused on breaking the American records and, um, and seeing how fast I can go in it. Cause I've never done that. I've never actually trained to see how fast I can go at those distances. Cause I'm just so focused on the 20. Yeah. We got to see, cause um, you know, I, I was thinking about hosting, you know, next year sometime after uh, Eugene worlds. And I want to see if I can get like a, a 50, a 50 K event hosted where like, you know, people can go after some big times and like, uh, you know, kind of showcase an event that's, that's been taken out of the Olympics for the men and was never allowed for the women. And that's, um, you know, so I, I think that'd be something kind of cool to do, but you got to work on all the logistics for that. And that's, that's always a task, especially right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if the marathon project could happen in Arizona, maybe you need the walking project in one of these areas. Come on. We'll, we'll yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because after the marathon, so he participated in the marathon project. Oh yeah. I was, I was on team Danny Doherty. I think I was, as um, trying to put in miles for his, he was uh, race walking for his miles, group. Yeah. But he, it was in uh, yeah. the middle of my 50k build. <laughs> but after that, when we were trying to figure out how to, um, to get to this 50k, 35k championships, because for a while we thought San, San Diego was in the purple tier. So we weren't sure if we were going to be able to keep it in San Diego. Um, and then we're, we were looking for a new location for the Pan Am cup trials because the original location was too close to a nursing home. So after the the success of the marathon project, that course looked phenomenal and perfect for race walking, completely flat. It's already been measured. We would need it to be a 1K or 2K because of the rules. It has to be between 1K, 2K loop. But I actually wanted to reach out to the organizers for that and see if they would host one for race walking yeah. because it just it's the perfect course. It was a success. Um, it was fun to watch. Yeah. It was fun to follow along. Yeah, so we'll have to see, you know, that looks like something to look into in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, how, how would it feel if one of both of you won medals in Tokyo? Oh, wow. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, we got 
but like I got a lot of work to do on that end. Um, so, so that'll be up to Robin. Yeah, well, but, but uh, it's not out of the question, but we both have work to do. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of work to do. So um, I yeah. feel like I have the right coach for it, um, but it would take it would take some work. <laughs> yeah, so that's 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 all I, I can really say on that is I'm so I'm, we, I'm fighting for the Olympic spot yeah. right now, not not necessarily for a medal at the moment. I'm, so. I'm fighting for the certificate, the top <laughs> the top eight certificate, um, and then and then if everything goes right and I get on that podium, then that that's just like that's just going to be the added the added uh, sparkle I'm gonna be really happy with this if I can come home with this, this certificate the yeah if, if you finish top eight you get like an Olympic diploma so, so, if you, so if uh, you want the participation if you like the Olympic equivalent of the participation trophy you got in elementary in your only the top eight get yeah it. only the top eight yeah, get so it, so. if you don't place in the top eight you don't get the certificate yeah, you just you just get the experience of being there so and then if we even manage to get top eight we will be the highest placing U.S. walkers at the Olympics, other than Larry Young. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> like the it's it's been quite a um, there haven't been a lot of uh, U.S. walkers finish in the top like recently, and on the women's side, uh, I'm trying to think that the, like the best finish, yeah, five to twenty eight. Yeah, so it hasn't been hasn't been a huge finish. We did have in the intercalary games in 1906. Um, there was a uh, was like George Bonham or something like that. He won the uh, 1500 meter race walk, and then he went on to compete in the exhibition baseball game in the 1912 Olympics. So he had he had a kind of interesting career, and he ran the three mile race and medaled in that. And then uh, I think he he won a medal in the cross country team race. <laughs> so like uh, that was that was the the only the only uh, gold medal by an Olympic race I walker. Larry Young did. No, Larry Young has two Olympic bronze medals. So Larry Young was a uh, uh, he got bronze in the 50K in 1968 in Mexico City, and then he got bronze in the 50K in uh, Munich in 1972. Um, so he was, uh, uh, he's, he's our most decorated Olympic walker. And then Kurt Claussen on the men's side has our only world championship medal. He was uh, third in uh, Seville in uh, 1999, and that was uh, um, in the 50K. So we, we've, uh, we've, we've had kind of, we got some work to do and we had like a period of time in like the mid two thousands, like, especially on the men's side where like, uh, we just didn't have men transition over from like the junior level or the college level to the open level. And then, um, myself and a, a few other guys, uh, Manuel Corvera and, and, uh, you know, a couple people have been kind of slowly bringing that back up but we we kind of had to go like once once all the older guys retired we, we've been kind of stuck stuck by ourselves trying to bring it back up so well plus the, then with like the i mean the doping being a problem <laughs> once we can get all those weeded out we'll see who the real uh the real top tiered athletes truly are um but i think there's still some weeding out do being done <laughs> yeah and you know so. there's a lot of changes in store too so like there's um you know we we're talking about the technique stuff but they're they're actually developing like a kind of like a shoe pod shoe insole or something that would uh measure the um uh would measure the flight time uh and then and then give calls electronically um it's still in development and that'll be a, a big change to the race walking events and you know, maybe it'll get race walking more into like 
indoors or Diamond League events more more um, yeah. readily because of the uh, the it's uh, like combining. Judging. It won't be the super shoe. It'd be like the super judge. <laughs> It'd be the super judge. Yeah. <laughs> it won't. Be, it won't be the vapor fly. Maybe the vapor judge. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so so uh that's that's in development. But you know, if if that happens, you know, like you could see a big shakeup in um in uh the the athletes finishing at the top because it, it would it would def it would certainly change the time. So like we'll see, you know, where where they set the uh, threshold at of of when someone's called for um you know a flight violation and and lifting violation. Um so like if that happens, you know, like who who knows? Who knows what walking could could look like or what it could turn into, what the records could be, or the feasibility of even breaking a record. So, so it would it would certainly uh, add add a lot of flavor and and well, just you know, difference, new, different. It would just be a new event. Like a new almost. record set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> little little bit of spice is always welcome and whether it's a fifteen hundred, three K indoor or fifty K, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you for hopping on the podcast and we wish you all the best on your road to Eugene and hopefully Tokyo. Ah, thank you so thank much, you for, so having much us. for having us. Thank you so much for having us, Dylan. Yeah, we yeah. really appreciate it.